Our opening words this morning are from Rainer Maria Rilke. I want to beg you to be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers that cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And into the fading echo of Rilke's words, I offer Mary Oliver. Is the soul solid like iron? Or is it tender and breakable like the wings of a moth in the beak, the beak of the owl. Who has it and who doesn't? I keep looking around me. The face of the moose is as sad as the face of Jesus. The swan opens her white wings slowly. In the fall, the black bear carries leaves into the darkness. One question leads into another. Does it have a shape like an iceberg? like the eye of a hummingbird? Does it have one lung, like the snake and the scallop? Why should I have it and not the anteater who loves her children? Why should I have it and not the camel? Come to think of it, what about the maple trees? What about the blue iris? What about all the little stones sitting alone in the moonlight? What about roses and lemons and their shining leaves? What about the grass? So good morning and welcome to our time of worship together this morning. Whatever the frame of mind that you arrived in or whatever the state of your heart, you are welcome here. May you find solace here for the next hour. My name is Stephen Crowther, I'm from Brighton. And for anyone here this morning who may be attending a Unitarian service for the first time, I would like to extend a special welcome. Unitarians have no fixed statement of beliefs or creed to which you have to agree in order to be accepted. Our attitude is that religion is wider than any church or faith group and deeper than any set of beliefs. Here we practice a free faith unfettered by dogma. As such, when I speak of God, I invite you to bring your own unfolding personal and intimate understanding to that name, whatever that understanding, for it is yours and yours alone and may just be your most intimate relationship of all. And so in the tradition of Unitarian churches throughout the world, let our chalice now be lit. We light our chalice this morning, grateful for the love, acceptance and sense of belonging that we experience in this beloved community, in this sacred space. May its flame light the way for all who seek such abundance.
Whatever our reaction, or whatever meaning the outcome of Thursday's referendum holds for each of us, may the quality of our responding be determined by love. May we not close our hearts to those whose opinion differs from ours. And may we hold fast to our faith that all shall be well if we make love work. Making love work can be a hard and messy work, and no one said it would be easy. It takes practice and courage and faith. And let us not forget that we can always return to love, remembering that each moment contains an invitation to open our hearts, change our thoughts, and become what some call miracle workers. So we come now to a time of prayer and quiet reflection. I invite you to bring yourself into the presence of that which you hold sacred in an attitude of prayer. You may want to turn your attention inward to your heart and spend a few moments breathing into it, into your very centre. In this quiet place, O God, help us to find quiet for our souls, for we need quietness. Shouting and tumult are always about us, and the noise of the world never dies down. Even in the night time, when we seek rest, the voices of the day go on. But in thy presence there is quietness. O God, let us find thy presence now. As we struggle to reconcile our firmly held beliefs with the actions of our fellow men, and in light of recent events in the world, both man-made and nature-made, and we think of the murder of Joe Cox, the shootings in Orlando and in France, the recent downing of an Egyptian Airlines plane, bombings in Brussels and Istanbul, an earthquake in Ecuador, floods in Virginia, and tornadoes, and the heartbreaking list goes on. And while we recognize bewilderment and pain and anger in reaction to the news headlines, may we hold fast to our faith that all shall be well. Let us pray that each of us finds our own way to respond in accordance with our conscience, and in our responding that we are guided by love. And may we lend our heartfelt support for those who strive to bring peace to the world and help to those in need. God of life, every act of violence in our world, between myself and another, destroys a part of your creation. Stir within my heart a renewed sense of reverence for all life. Give me the vision to recognise your spirit in every human being however they behave towards me. Make possible the impossible by cultivating in me the fertile seed of healing love. May I play my part in breaking the cycle of violence by realizing that peace begins in me.
Our first reading is entitled The Soul, and it's by the Franciscan monk and writer Richard Rohr, who I heard described recently as that great roar of a prophet. And it seems to me that he is a lone voice of truth and love in the ever more vocal landscape of American right-wing Christian fundamentalism. He writes... It is good to remember that a part of you has always loved God. There is a part of you that has always said, yes. There is a part of you that is love itself. And that is what we must fall into. It is already there. Once you move your identity to that level of deep inner contentment, you will realize you are drawing upon a life that is much larger than your own and from a deeper abundance. Once you learn this, why would you ever again settle for scarcity in your life? I'm not enough. This is not enough. I do not have enough. I am afraid this is the way culture trains you to think. It is a kind of learned helplessness. The gospel message is just the opposite. Inherent power Thomas Merton said the way we have structured our lives. We spend our whole life climbing up the ladder of supposed success. And when we get to the top of the ladder, we realise it's leaning against the wrong wall. And there is nothing at the top anyway. To get back to the place of inherent abundance, you have to let go of all the false agendas, unreal goals and passing self-images. It is all about letting go. The spiritual life is more about unlearning than learning because the deepest part of you already knows and already enjoys. According to Celtic spiritual tradition, the soul shines all around the body like a luminous cloud. When you are very open, appreciative and trusting with another person, your two souls flow together. This deeply felt bond with another person means you have found your Anamkara, or soul friend. Your Anamkara always beholds your light and beauty and accepts you for who you truly are. When you are blessed with an Anamkara, the Irish believe you have arrived at that most sacred place, home. Words from John O'Donoghue. And so in our second reading, which is taken from his book of the same name, Anamkara, he explores this a little further. We are capable of love and belonging because the soul holds the echo of primal intimacy which whispers in every heart. The soul did not invent itself. It is, a, it, it is a presence from the divine world where intimacy has no limit or barrier. You can never love another person unless you are equally involved in the beautiful but difficult spiritual work of learning to love yourself. There is within, within each of us at the soul level an enriching fountain of love. In other words, you do not have to go outside yourself to know what love is. This is not selfishness and it is not narcissism. 
they are negative obsessions with the need to be loved. Rather, this is the wellspring of love within the heart. Through their need for love, people who lead solitary lives often stumble upon this great inner fountain. You can learn to whisper awake the deep well of love within, inviting your deepest nature to flow through your life. When this happens, the ground that has hardened within you grows soft again. Through a lack of love, everything hardens. If you find that your heart is hardened, one of the gifts that you can give yourself is to invite this fountain of the inner wellspring to free itself so that gradually the nourishing waters begin to infuse and pervade the hardened clay of your heart. Then the miracle of love happens within you. You are sent here to learn to love and receive love. This greatest gift new love brings into your life is the awakening to the hidden love within. This makes you independent. You are now able to come close to the other, not out of need or with the wearying apparatus of projection, but out of genuine intimacy, affinity and belonging. It is a freedom. Love should make you free. You become free of the hungry, blistering need with which you continually reach out to scrape affirmation, respect and significance for yourself from things and people outside of yourself. To be holy is to be home. To be able to rest in the house of belonging that we call the soul. Words from John O'Donoghue. So we come again to a time of prayer. Our prayers will be followed by a period of silence which will draw to a close with some recorded music. I invite you to hold yourself in the presence of that which you hold sacred in an attitude of prayer. At this time, let us bring to mind those known to us or unknown loved ones or strangers, any who are suffering and in pain or ill health, any whose hearts may be broken by incomprehension and anger. And we include those at this time throughout the world who are seeking sanctuary and a safe home. May we hold them in the loving and healing light of our hearts. May they be released from their pain. May we all be released from our pain. Come, Holy Spirit of love. In the silence, come to us and bring your peace. Rest in us that we may be tranquil and still. Speak to us as each heart needs to hear. Reveal to us things longed for. Rejoice in us that we may praise and be glad. Pray in us that we may be at one with you and each other. Refresh and renew us from your living springs of water. Dwell in us now and always.
Once upon a time, when the earth was new, the creator decided that she wanted to play a game of hide-and-seek. At about that same time, her angels had gathered together to hold a meeting. They had become afraid that others might try to kidnap or to monopolize God. So they decided that she had to be hidden away in a safe place, a place where everyone would be able to find her if they searched, but somewhere no one could own her exclusively. An angel scouting party was sent out to find this perfect place. They began to search the land far and wide. Meanwhile, God had already found a hiding place. The safest, fairest and warmest place of all to hide, and yet the most difficult to find. Inside each and every human heart. And yet the most difficult to find inside each and every human heart. In all of us. You, me and everyone else. Not just the people we like and feel comfortable with, but also in those we struggle to love. I have heard it said that the longest journey of all is the one from the head to the heart. A distance of about 18 inches. According to Carl Jung, the soul exists as a perpetual companion to consciousness. Its utterances in words and symbolic images proceed ceaselessly below the threshold of everyday awareness. Normally, we cannot perceive the stars in daytime because we are dazzled by the sun. But if we cease to be dazzled by our ego consciousness, the soul becomes as apparent as the stars at night. And according to Thomas More in Care of the Soul, it is impossible to precisely define what the soul is. Definition is an intellectual enterprise anyway. The soul prefers to imagine. Soul is not a thing, but a quality or a dimension of experiencing life and ourselves. It has to do with depth value, relatedness, heart and personal substance. Not an object of religious belief or to do with immortality. When we say someone or something has soul, we know what we mean, but it is difficult to specify exactly what that meaning is. And then moving closer to a definition, Gerald May writes, Soul for me reflects the essence of one's existence. Thus, it is manifested through rather than divorced from body, mind or any other facet of one's being. And then separating soul from spirit, he goes on to say, Spirit means to me the vital dynamic force of being, that which is given by God and brings the soul into living reality. This understanding is for me compatible with the ancient terms Ruach, Pneuma, Spiritus, and the Sanskrit prana. I feel like I've just showed off a bit of the, the, the breadth of some of my reading, <laughs> my research. One of the required reading books in my second year of spiritual direction training is a book by David Benner, and it's called Soulful Spirituality, Becoming Fully Alive and Deeply Human. 
And in it, Benner explores some of the differences between soul and spirit. He describes spirit as fire in the belly and soul as the womb of experience. A wonderful, rich language and images that inspire and, and draw me deeply. He refers to spirit and soul as ways of living, not as part of ourselves, because after all we are an organic whole. So he echoes C.S. Lewis, who said, we don't have a soul, but we are soul. And similarly, we do not possess a spirit or even a body. We are spirit and we are body. He writes that spirit is the fire in the belly that we need if we are to live as human beings and not machines. It is the vital life energy that Freud called the life instinct. Spirit kindles passions that make life worth living, animating, sustaining and giving purpose and direction to life. I don't know about you, but I love this idea of fire in the belly, that passion. And it speaks of creativity and of the erotic. And could it be that the flames of this fire in the belly are fanned by the breath of God? If spirit is the fire in our bellies, Benner writes, we immediately see the need for something that can help us contain this fire, sometimes even cool it down. So he offers us soul as womb of experience. I particularly love his language here, it's so rich. Without spirit, he says, we congeal and die. Without soul, we are unable to hold the tension of being molten and so we are pulled apart. Soul helps us hold our experiences in awareness. Our joys, our disappointment, our hopes, our fears, our excitement, our confusion, our suffering. It is neither physical and material, nor spiritual and abstract, yet is bound to both. And while the soul makes its home in the deep shaded valley, spirit seeks a place of the bright light on the mountain tops. The movement of spirit is upward and outward, expansive, driven by deep longings. In contrast, the call of the soul is a call to belonging, to descent, to grounding. Wonderful words from David Benner. I've spoken of spirit, that's fire in the belly and the breath of God and soul womb of experience and the ground of our being is there perhaps something missing here the body our primary home of self a third component and there may be a familiarity in combining these three ideas something resembling the trinity perhaps and that can be slightly uncomfortable to start talking about this, the Trinity in a Unitarian community. So when Bennett says the call of the soul is a call to belonging, descent and grounding, is he referring to the ground of my being perhaps? If he is, then I start to hear echoes of John O'Donoghue's ideas we heard earlier. The idea of soul as home. This idea also resonates deeply with me. The yearning and longing that I have carried all my life, to which I have responded in, in unloving and self-destructive ways, but finally heard answered in the poems of Rumi 
and Hafiz and the Psalms finds deep consolation in the idea of soul as home. And I wonder if I'm alone here in finding this. I have a deep longing to come home. To come home to my soul, to myself and to God. Is this then our journey? Driven by spirit, held by soul and travelled by body. Is this the journey we are invited to take? That longest journey of 18 inches from the head to the heart. How we make this journey can be determined by the way we regard our own fallible, vulnerable, flawed attempts at being human. With compassion or with resistance, we try and we practice and we pray and we make a start. A journey of a thousand miles begins with that first step. Love penetrates the senses and storms the soul with all its power. When love grows in the soul, then it rises up with great longing to God and flowingly expands to receive the miracle that breaks in upon it. Love melts through the soul and into the senses, and so the body too gains its part and conforms in all ways to love. Words from Mechtild of Magdeburg. And so to finish a story... It's the story of the old violin. Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the, on the old violin as he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks? he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar. A dollar. Who'll make it two? Two dollars. Who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, and going and gone. But no, from the room far back came a grey-haired man and he picked it up with the bow. And wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up all the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, in a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin? As he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, who'll make it two? Two thousand dollars, who'll make it three? Three thousand, once, three thousand, twice, and going and gone, said he. And the people cheered, but some of them said, we do not quite understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, "Twas the touch of the master's hand. And there's many a man with his life out of tune that's battered and torn with sin, who is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of potage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never quite understand the worth of a soul or the change that is wrought by the touch of the Master's hand. May it be so. So for our closing words are um, another poem by Mary Oliver and these will be followed by a blessing from John O'Donoghue. 
Understand, I am always trying to figure out what the soul is and where hidden and what shape. And so last week when I found on the beach the ear bone of a pilot whale that may have died hundreds of years ago, I thought maybe I was close to discovering something. For the ear bone is the portion that lasts longest in any of us, man or whale. Shaped like a squat spoon with a pink scoop where once in the lively swimmer's head it joined its two sisters in the house of hearing. It was only two inches long and thought the soul might be like this, so hard, so necessary, yet almost nothing. Beside me, the grey sea was opening and shutting its wave doors, unfolding over and over its time-ridiculing roar. I looked, but I couldn't see anything through its dark-knit glare. Yet, don't we all know, the golden sand is there at the bottom, though our eyes have never seen it, nor our hands ever catch it lest we would sift it down into fractions and facts, certainties. And what the soul is, I also, also I believe I will never quite know. Though I play at the edges of knowing, truly I know our part is not knowing, but looking and touching and loving, which is the way I walked on softly through the pale pink morning light. May you be blessed with good friends. May you learn to be a good friend to yourself. May you be able to journey to that place in your soul where there is great love, warmth, feeling and forgiveness. May this change you. May it transfigure that which is negative, distant or cold in you. May you be brought into the real passion, kinship and affinity of belonging. May you treasure your friends. May you be good to them and may you be there for them. May they bring you all the blessings, challenges, truth and light that you need for your journey. May you never be isolated, but may you always be in the gentle nest of belonging with your Anam Kara. May it be so.